what is off the groove? It means you've blown the line or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack. Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. We're rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Keep them doggies rolling. Episode 51. Episode 51. 51? At least that's the number I got. I don't I don't know how accurate that is. Well, that's better than, than me. I, I don't I can't even count that high. Is that right though? I mean, has next week been one year? Did we start? It would have been like the first week of December, so. I think so, because I was down at your place. In and November. then we went to November. we went to we went to the Savannah race. Yeah, we recorded before the Savannah race, right? I don't know, dude. I've slept since then. <laughs> A whole year, fifty-two episodes as of what? Next week, we got to do something special. What do you want to do special for next week for the one-year anniversary? You had a pretty good idea before, but you said you weren't going to tell me about it, but. Something about checking in with people we've talked to. I don't know. Something like that. We can check in with people we talk to. We do a little look back. You know, we've talked to a a few few people since December of last year, so. 51. (laughs) Did you know that was my dad's number? No, but now I do. Yeah, when when he raced, he ran, he said he didn't really care about numbers and he'd usually ride whatever numbers on the motorcycle, but if he would pick a number and put one on his plates, it'd be 51. No particular reason, just 51. He never gave me a reason, you know it? Never did. You ask everybody if there was a reason. You haven't even asked your own father? I've never interviewed my own father. Ooh, we need to get Eddie on this thing. I haven't really seen much in the news this week. I, uh... There was some racing and traveler's rest last weekend in South Carolina. Really wanted to get up there, but didn't make it up there. Yeah, the news front was kind of quiet, but of course it was around the holidays, so I get it. I understand. Yeah. Um, travel, traveler's rest looked like a lot of fun. The tracks, both of them looked really good. I know they had rain overnight from the first night to the second night, but man, the, the videos I've seen, some clips I saw on social media, the track looked really good. It looked like a lot of fun. Robbie Bobby was yeah. rocking the microphone. He was. Robbie Bobby was rocking the mic, and I saw um, the goon doing some pit walks. They were uh, both doing their best Scotty Dubler impressions, I guess. But uh, no, I loved it. They were doing live streams. I got to tune in and see you know, a little bit of what's going on. Since I didn't get to make it up, that was great. Uh, and uh, as BP92 would say, that track looked mint. Who was who was fast? Who did you think was flying out there? Dallas Daniels looked like he was going pretty fast. You know, he's, he Je- was holding Jeffrey his own. Carver. Carver yeah, was Carver was holding good. his own for sure. I mean, it's always Carver's always going to be up front, right? And uh, I don't know. I think Cole Zabala was looking pretty fast too. Um, I didn't really see a ton. You know, you, you, when you're doing the handhold thing, it's tough to see really who's got the speed. But those are the guys running up front that I saw. Trent Lowe was there too. He ran pretty fast. You know, two of the two of those guys are going pro next year. Yep. And uh, it's going to be an exciting year. And now, like we've mentioned the last couple of times, we have three classes of motorcycles, so yeah. we might see some of those guys running two classes. Yeah. And speaking of three classes, and I, I can't believe I forgot to mention this name, Ben Lau was also running pretty fast, and he's he uh, mentioned that he's going to be running the production class next year. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. He. I talked to him at the Meadowlands, and he was there with the twin, and he was just trying it out and just try to see what was going to happen and then of course when the rules came out there's another class production-based twins it makes sense for that kawasaki that he's got so uh 
he he was really good on the singles. Didn't get a lot of recognition. I like you know I always try to call in his name because I like the kid, and I look forward to seeing him in that production twins class. It's gonna be super confusing to try to remember Lau and Low, but I think we could pull it off. We're gonna try. On the uh, on the flat track front, besides that racing and travelers rest, I mean, I, I, the only other thing I think I saw this week was Corey Texter's post about you know what he's doing for the uh, for the amateur series, which looked really cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. He was gonna he's gonna give back you know to the amateurs. He's trying to sell some of his memorabilia, auction it off, and uh, he's gonna try to help help out some amateurs at the you know the flat track grand championships or the dirt track grand championships. They've changed the names of those so many times, but. Uh, pretty much everybody in flat track calls them the amateur grands, but uh, the picture on that post, man, it looked that was from him on a little bitty motorcycle. It looked just and like Cruz. Yeah, yeah, it looked just like his little boy, man. It's so cool. Yeah, and that's really cool. Uh, and you know, it's great to see a rider. You know, a lot, all the riders will say, you know, they want they want to see that amateur national series or whatever they're calling it um, grow, and they want to see it bigger and better. Uh, but it's cool to see a rider actually, you know, doing what he's doing. Yeah, you know, he is, you know, getting rid of some stuff that means a lot to him. Uh, and it's meant a lot to him through his career. And he's, you know, he's auctioning that stuff off just to help out some up and comers to try to fulfill their dreams. So pretty cool. Hats off to Corey. Yeah. And it looks like he's doing that through his Facebook. So anybody that's interested, you can probably see that on his Facebook wall or reach out to him directly through Facebook. And I'm sure he'll, he'll give you some information on that. What else? Man, I don't know. I'm excited to talk to this week's guest. You are. Well, he's got a beard like you. I thought you. I thought you bearded folks stuck together. <laughs> My beard cannot be compared to this man's beard. This man's beard is like no other. Well, I actually thought we used to race against each other, and we figured out that I think I'd already stopped racing when he was getting going, you know, on the big bikes. And so I don't think we ever raced against each other. Yeah. But I've called his name a lot because he he only runs a lot of Steve Nace races. He runs a lot of races that I announced besides the Grand Nationals. Yeah. And then of course he's friends. We're friends because he helps out Chad Coase, and Chad was staying here a couple times. Uh, you know, he came through Oklahoma City, and he's running for the Indian Motorcycle Oklahoma City. So Tom Engelhart's a big part of Chad Coase's program. Yeah, man, I, I definitely uh, have always wanted to hear from him and, and get to know him a little bit more. I see him at the track all the time, but I really don't know his story, so I'm pretty interested to hear this interview. You ready? Yeah, let's give him a call. Let's do it. Hello. Engelhart. Hey, how's it going, Scotty? It's good, man. How are you doing? Real good. Real good. Um, is it cold in Ohio? Um, not as far as winter goes. It was maybe 38 or so today. That's not cold? Chilly. That's cold yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, wonder, no wonder you got that long beard. Man. Yeah, when it gets down to zero for a couple weeks, then it's cold. Man, what's going on? I haven't seen you since the Meadowlands. You doing all right? Yeah, doing good. Resting uh, up. Rest. What are you resting for? The 2019 season already? Yeah, well, resting, yeah. The pains and struggles of, of this season. Pains and struggles. You guys finished six in the points. You got Chad Coase's first podium, man. You gotta be, gotta be, I'd be living on a high right now, I think. I think you had a great year. We did. We did. It, and it was a great year. Uh-huh. It, it took a lot out of my my old body though, so um, I want to be strong for next year. Man, you're not old. You gotta be like my age, right? Are you, are you calling me old? I think I'm older than you. I think I'm 46. I'm 47. Oh man, you got me beat by a year. <laughs> All right. 
I'll, I'll let you be i'll let you be old then so uh it's good it's good talking to you um i've been wanting to talk to you for a while for you people that don't know uh tom Engelhart is the mechanic for chad coast and he actually owns an indian as part of the indian motorcycle oklahoma city team that backed chad coast so let's just jump right in and let's get to know the man with the beard tom Engelhart. so tom where were you born uh zanesville ohio it's a small town about 50 miles east of Columbus, Ohio, um, foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. What's it like growing up there? Uh, you know, typical Midwest city. So, you know, uh, sports influence, you know, Friday night football, um, that sort of thing. But, you know, great motorcycling community. We were um, about 20 miles from Honda Hills, which um, was founded by Dick Clampert. So, you know, a lot of history there. There were Trans Am motocross races and a quarter mile short track and things like that. You know, large um, stock car community around the area as well. So a lot of motorsports and, and, you know, athletics. So had a lot of fun growing up there. I got you. So how did you get into motorcycles? Uh, well, I was kind of born into it, I guess. Uh, my grandfather actually um, raced back in the 40s and uh, ironically an Indian. So, um, you know, coming from that background, uh, my dad didn't do a lot of racing, but he was a mechanic. So he was actually um, working at the local Honda shop when I was born. So, you know, hung out there when I was a kid. And, you know, after he had um, switched careers, um, people would drag bikes over for him to work on all the time. So just I've always had motorcycles, you know, around. So there was no getting getting out of it. Wow. I had no idea. Sounds like uh, sounds like a little bit of my backstory. I'm a third generation flat tracker and. It's been, I've been around motorcycles since I was born too. So that's pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. when did you start racing motorcycles? So I, it, it took me a while to get, get into racing. Uh, you know, we, we trail rode a little bit, you know, had an MR 50 and an XR 75 and, you know, that got me till I was 10 or 12 years old and then, um, kind of got the bicycle bug. So, you know, it was a lot cheaper to, to race BMX, which I think that parallels your story a little bit as well. Um, yes, sir. so, you know, race bicycles, I think when I was about 11 till maybe 16 and you know, what happens when you turn 16. So, you know, got a car and got out of that and, you know, was in, in a little bit of high school athletics and things, but, um, it wasn't actually till I was about 25 till I started racing, uh, doing some motocross racing. So, okay. A little so, bit later in life. I gotcha. I was too, before I decided to start racing. So, uh, were there riders you looked up to when you were growing up? I mean, you said there's motorsports and, and all around. Were there other people that you looked up to in the sport? Yeah, absolutely. I was, I've, again, with, with my grandfather being a, a flat track racer, you know, my dad drug me to, you know, all the local races, you know, around. And, and actually Zanesville, you know, has a really nice half mile that um, traditionally back in the 70s, early 80s had a um, – had races Labor Day, Memorial Day, and kind of coincided um, around Springfield. So we had, you know, the best riders in the country coming to Zanesville. So always a highlight as a little kid to go there, you know, and I can remember, you know, picking up tear-offs and, you know, collecting as many as I could. But, you know, all the local Ohio guys, you know, um, and I guess they're not terribly much older than me, but, you know, Rotor and Spring uh, Springsteen, Moorhead, uh, Will Davis, you know, those those guys. I've always been a Honda guy, so um, – Bubba Schobert, Ricky Graham, um, those guys were always my heroes. But, you know, followed the motocross scene as well. So, you know, all the classic guys, um, you know, Hannah, Johnson, Bailey, Brad Lackey, you know, guys like that. I can remember watching, uh, you know, Carlsbad on ABC uh, when I was a kid. So um, just loved anything motorcycles. 
Right on. Did you ever race any motocross? You said you did some BMX. Did you try moto? Yeah. So like I say, when I was about 25, I, I, so that, and I guess that's how I got into flat track. So I'd always loved flat track, went to the races and, you know, um, after I got out of the house and, you know, kind of had my own job and my own money, I was ready to, to go racing. And, uh, I actually wrote a letter to our, um, district 11 dirt track chairman and said, you know, how do I do this? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a kid. It's not like I'm racing the, you know, the 12 year old, you know, 450 class or whatever. How do I start when I'm in my twenties? Like, you know, how do you even do it? So this would have been, you know, early nineties, obviously we were kind of in a decline then, but, um, you know, still plenty of local stuff, outlaw races and stuff. So his advice to me was learn how to motocross first and, uh, you know, do that once you, you know, get out of the C class and stuff, maybe, maybe you'll be good enough to try, you know, flat track. So race motocross for probably maybe three or four years and, you know, transferred through the C and into the B class and probably about late nineties, 99 or so I decided to go flat track racing finally and never looked back. I haven't, haven't, haven't raced motocross since. Wow. Did you try anything else besides moto and flat track? Did you do any hair scrambles or anything else? Yeah, of course, you know, like that's, that's always been something fun to do in the off season when you have a motocross bike around and then Ohio winters, you know, done a little bit of stuff on the ice and, and things, but it was always fun to, you know, just trail ride with buddies or, you know, do a hair scramble or two. And, you know, with my dad's connection, we actually got into some vintage motocross and vintage flat track a little bit, you know, early on. And so, had a lot of fun with that. You know, my dad, my dad is actually, you know, who taught me how to work on bikes and, and everything I know. And, you know, he's always been a, a pretty creative tuner. So we had an old SL 125 Honda and if anybody knows what those are. I mean, it's literally a street legal trail bike, you know, not much of a, a motocross bike, but uh, back in the early seventies, you know, they didn't have, you know, two stroke motocross bikes. So um, the way the vintage rolls were and stuff, you could kind of pump those up. So we actually put one 750 Honda piston in one of those and made it a 150 wow. and, you know, took the horsepower from about probably they were stock, maybe five horsepower to about 14 and, and, you know, just had a blast whipping a bunch of Elsinores at the local armor races. So um, Man. had a lot of fun doing that. I was going to say, it sounds like a lot of fun. So you never went all the way up to a grand national expert or never had your national number. How far did you go as a, as a flat track motorcycle racer? I know you're still racing now, but did you chase the circuit at all? Yeah. So probably about 2005 or so got my pro sport license and did probably five or six years as a pro sport. So, you know, um, chased the stuff on the East coast, you know, went to Daytona every year, you know, got to race it at the, at the stadium. So, you know, that's obviously a highlight to have raced there and, uh, then raced on the, the new, what I call the parking lot track. Um, but, um, I guess the highlight of my pro career was I, I did make the main one night at Dayton. So the Dayton race, um, the Dayton charity newsies was always the highest paying non-national and the track was a little, um, sketchy, you know, a lot of bad, wrecks came out of Dayton. So they would always limit the, the main to 12 riders. So not only did it pay a lot, it was really tough to make the main. So making the main at Dayton was, was a big deal for me, you know, in a high rider on a cushion track. So, um, that was, that's about the, the biggest highlight I have in my pro career. So what bikes did you mainly ride when you, when you were a pro? I said, you said, you know, the 2004, we on four fifties. Did you have a Rotax? What, what kind of bikes did you race? I started out actually, you know, that was right when the four strokes were, were coming in. So as my, my brief amateur career, I guess, 
Um, I actually had a 426 Yamaha the you know the first year of the um, four stroke, and then um, as soon as Honda you know brought theirs out, um, immediately switched to Honda. So um, I had uh, you know Hondas in JNM frames, so the 450s uh, in JNM frames had a pair of those um, twin bikes basically, and uh, you know had a blast. And then of course transferred you know you know, we started at the 505 you know CC and went to 450, and then you know, went all the way to the DTX, you know, where the framers were outlawed. So that's kind of the, I guess, the era that I, that I rode in. How did you transition into, you know, from racing into being, becoming a mechanic or a tuner? Well, like I say, um, you know, my dad being kind of a mechanic and, and, you know, his, um, his, um, trade is actually a mold maker. So, you know, a machinist. So, you know, have one of those dads that can make or do anything, right? Especially with a, you know, a motorcycle or a, or a car. So always been working on stuff and had that kind of tuner mentality, I guess. So even when I was racing, I, you know, I obviously did all my own work and, and things. So it was always, you know, playing with the bikes and stuff. So, you know, through that, that racing career, you know, I was building my own motors then with my dad and stuff and developing. And at some point, I don't know, you know, I was a single guy, um, had a decent job. So bought a dyno one year, bought a flow bench one year and it just kind of snowballed. So, you know, was, was always chasing horsepower and, and, you know, just a student of the, of the sport and thing. So, um, had a lot of mentors that, that, that helped me along the way, but, um, I can't remember the exact time or, or place or who was riding, but when I eventually started letting a few kids ride my bikes and they started winning, like, in, in a big way, I was, they were like, these bikes are really fast. <laughs> it it kind of ended my career when I knew that I had really fast bikes, but wasn't able to, you know, ride them to that level. So kind of gave me a good excuse to, you know, step back down to the vet class and have some fun with those guys. And, and, and then, you know, just start helping younger kids and eventually transferred into, you know, helping some pro riders. Right on. I know the the season on the, on the grand national circuit's really busy, but did you have time to, to race it all yourself this year? Not once. So that was kind of a disappointment. I, I do try to still, I, I actually have a, um, an XR 500 and J and M frame. That's a pretty fast, um, vintage bike. And I like to, you know, make it up to middle high to their vintage days. And, um, Wasi on bike days is another big, um, half mile that I, I really enjoy um, going to, but yeah, the schedule was pretty tough this year. And, and that's this, this year was the first year that I did all 18 rounds and, and, you know, that was a kind of a bucket list item for me. You know, I really wanted to, to do that and, and, you know, give Chad the best chance he could this year. So um, no regrets not getting a ride, but um, definitely I'm, I'm not done. You know, it's, it's time to maybe go back to the amateur nationals or at least get out to the local stuff. Right on. So what's the toughest part about racing as a rider? From a rider standpoint, I mean, I guess as I've gotten older, it's just staying in shape. So, you know, you never want to you never want to let your body, you know, dictate how hard you can ride. But, and I think that parlays into, you know, rough tracks were always difficult for me, you know, whether you're chasing setups or, or just how comfortable you were riding. So, um, I think that was, that was the hardest thing to, to adapt to and, and any clay track, you know, learning to ride on cushion tracks is the wrong way to do it. You, you got to start on, on a hard track and then transition to cushion because, you want to ride everything like you like you ride a cushion. Yeah, wide open, right? <laughs> yep. All right. So, what's the toughest part of racing as a tuner or mechanic? So, you know, as for, when you're a mechanic, you you feel a lot more responsible for you know the rider safety, um, for you know just 
the success of the team, you know, it, it's really easy to, you know, the rider can, you know, miss it by a couple spots and you really don't know if he rode his best or, or had a bad day, but if, you know, foot pedal falls off, you know, we know whose fault that is. <laughs> so that, and just, you know, making sure something doesn't happen that would cause, cause a wreck, you know, is the, the things you worry about. Right on. So you said you couldn't really remember when you started, you know, tuning or move, you know, transition to be a mechanic, but who are some of the riders that, that first rode your bikes before you got teamed up with Chad Coase? So there's been a, quite a few actually. Um, so I started working with, um, Corey Texter, um, around 2012, I believe. So I did his singles, um, program again, there was only, you know, three or four races back then. Um, but, you know, started working with Corey and I think, you know, again, I just ran into him at some local Ohio races and, you know, we got to talking, you know, Hey, can I ride a bike? And, you know, rode a bike at a couple of local races and that turned into, you know, uh, you know, doing, doing the higher level stuff and, you know, had some success with Corey. He, he won a couple, um, all-star races, um, over Hanover and then his local race there at, uh, at York, um, that year. So, um, had some success with him actually tuned for Shana a couple of times, just, you know, from, you know, helping out Corey, you know, just kind of by default, uh, embarrassed to say I tuned for Shana at, at Lima one year. I don't think she made the main and <laughs> she won this year. So that, that tells you how, how far I've came as well. So, uh, that was, that was a, a big learning experience, but, you know, along the way I, I bounced back and forth between, you know, trying to help the young kids. So I've always helped the kids here around Ohio. So, um, I, uh, worked with, Jeffrey Lowry in 2013 when he won the Horizon Award. So, you know, tuned a tuned a bike. He actually rode one of my bikes and, um, you know, tuned his bikes on the dyno and stuff. And at the same time, provided a bike to uh, Captain Chaos. So, um, Vandercore and myself have have spent some time together. Um, after that, um, worked with Ryan Wells some. Um, you know, Ryan, as he's been between rides and things, he's he's done, you know, local outlaw stuff. Um, Ryan and I were third at Lima one year uh, on my bike. And then uh, um, I want to say it was probably 2015. I actually had three bikes in the Peoria TT with, um, you know, I kept helping Jeffrey um, Lowry as he transitioned to pro. So I had Jeffrey and, and Ryan in the, in the singles, pro singles, and then had Chad at that time riding doing his program, riding the, um, the expert class. So, um, that was kind of a big deal for me to, to have three bikes at, you know, in the main at, at Peoria. That is really cool. So one of my favorite stories that I've ever heard from you and, and we, we've known each other for quite a while now, but at some point you decided to, to buy an Indian FTR 750. Can you talk about how you decided you wanted to buy one and then how you made that happen? Yep. So it's, it's kind of a long story. So I'll, I'll try to try to stay on track here, but, you know, obviously they, you know, they sent out an email and I don't know how the, all the press release releases went out, but um, I think licensed AMA riders and crew members got the email, you know, where you could um, pre-order or the bikes that, that Indian were making available, you know, kind of the public. So they were available to the racing community before the actual public to a dealer. So, you know, got that email. I can't remember if it was like January of that year or so, but you know, it was a complete pipe dream. Like, wow, that'd be neat to buy one of those. But you know, everybody knows, you know, what the price tag is on them now. It was obviously like something you just don't 
jump into. So um, really didn't think a whole lot of it and, you know, kind of teased my wife about it and, you know, talked about it, but, but really didn't push it that far. And as it got closer to the deadline, I think you had to have a deposit in by like March 23rd of that year. And uh, I was running with my buddy. So I do a little bit of trail running and, and, and training for um, uh, marathons and things. And so me and my buddy were on a long run and he was uh, talking to me about it. And I guess to back up a minute, um, as, I, as I got married, my wife and I transitioned um, our lives together. We, we bought a house together and I had a, what I call a, a bachelor pad, I guess. So it was a house I'd lived in for 20 years, a small little, you know, first time home, you know, literally a bachelor pad, about 800 square feet, you know, motorcycle parts everywhere, living room, dining room. Um, when I moved out, we pulled 12 bikes out of the basement. Uh, but anyway, I sold that house and I had a little bit of money in the equity of my house. So that was literally my life savings. And as me and this buddy were running, you know, where I was talking about what I was going to do with that money, he said, you know, you're going to put gutters on your new garage or, you know, a new furnace or pay off a car or a bill or something. He said, in five years, you won't be able to tell me what you spent that money on. So if you buy that bike, you'll remember it for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's like, man, <laughs> now I got to buy it. <laughs> so that, I mean, that was, that was literally like, I mean, it couldn't have been more truthful. And, and if he wouldn't have had that conversation with him, I would have probably still him hauled around and, 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 you know, I might not have done it. Um, you know, cause obviously, you know, uh, amount of money like that, you could invest it for retirement. You could have did all kinds of stuff paid, you know, paid a lot of things, but I mean, I'm a flat track guy all the way and, you know, eat it, breathe it, sleep it, you know, thinking about it all the time. So, you know, I, it was, it was something that I couldn't believe had kind of fell into my lap for that, you know, house selling and, and, and having that opportunity. So I still had to talk my wife into it and, um, she'd been a pretty, a pretty good sport about it. And we were coming home from a family event. my, my wife's family's from the Cleveland area. So it's about two and a half hours, um, from us. And we were coming home on a Sunday night, which was the, the, the 23rd and, uh, we're driving home and I was probably chattering away about it. And, uh, she said, just get it, do it. It's your money. It's your, you know, it's your dream. Just do it. You know, it's, you know, no, you know, no hard feelings, no, you know, no grudges, just, just do it. You know, you want to do it, you know, support you hundred percent. And I, and I, at that point I kind of told her, I said, you know what this means? You know, like this isn't a, this isn't going in the living room. We're going racing if I, I buy this bike. So I don't think she knew the gravity of what that meant. <laughs> you know, she obviously yeah. knows what, what my race and stuff, but I don't think she foreseen what this season looked like. And to be honest, when I bought it, I didn't think it was going to be 18 races. I thought it'd be, you know, eight or nine races, you know, on the East coast or something. To, but anyway, you know, that night I had to send a, a you know, kind of like a resume to Indian to kind of get on the list and get approved, you know, to buy it. So the very next morning I sent it, I sent it out by like 11 o'clock. I was thinking midnight, the 23rd was the deadline for some reason. So I, I get home and hurry up and type this email up and send it off. And Monday morning had a, had a response and where to send a check. So I was committed and, uh, you know, was, was on the list. And as, as that kind of story gets longer and longer, I kept it a secret. So there it was, this was the previous season. This is the season, you know, that, that Mises, you know, coming out and, and, you know, our first season with them dominating and nobody knows I'm getting an Indian, you know, and we weren't going to get them until like August, September. So there was a little, you know, slight chance, you know, you could make the last race of the season, but 
you know, I think, I think I ultimately picked mine up in October. So, you know, really not much of a chance. And actually, Scotty, you were there the, the, the first race. That's, that's a whole other story <laughs> right. we should get into, <laughs> but, but, you know, anyway, it just kind of snowballed from there. Right. So, you know, got the bike and, you know, got talking to Chad, we went to Savannah, you know, had a, a really exciting time at Savannah. Um, which would have been, I guess, last, last year at this time, you know, Chad wrecked, wrecked the bike the first time out, like literally the night before in practice. I mean, literally kind of like, I don't want to say totaled it, but bent the forks, the triple clamps, the axle, all kinds of stuff the night before the race. And we're like, Oh my God, came all the way down here. We're not even going to get the race, but with some help from the Lloyd brothers and some ingenuity from, from my dad, we, we straightened the triple clamps on the bumper of the, of the van. And uh, I think, at that point, Dean, Dean Young happened to be there um, helping us out. I think he was um, surprised at our ingenuity and how hard we were going to work to get on the track. And, you know, we, we went to race the next day and, you know, qualified well and we're kind of pushing um, Colbeth around the track, um, you know, qualified, I think, second for the main. And what happens first lap of the main, he wrecks again. And it was like, oh, my God, and the bike was kind of tweaked a little bit. But I think it lit a fire under Chad. He was pretty pretty mad it was a it was a good size field that night so he went to the fourth row and it was only a a a 10 lap race and you know he just mowed him down and you know got second that night and again i think that showed dean um the chemistry that chad and i had and and and, you know that was just a a really a um marker of things to come for that year and we'd have never never in a million years thought that would happen or that you know the season would would turn out how it did so you know at that point we knew we were going to we we're going to do a lot of races. So Chad went to work and, you know, put together the 2018 program. Man, that I, I remember that, you know, those two nights down there at Savannah and I remember Chad getting off, you know, both times and I couldn't believe he came from the back row and he came from the back row in the fourth row, like you said, in a hurry. And I think if there's anybody else, but cool Beth out front, he would have tracked him down and passed them too. But Kenny at Savannah is, you know, he's so fast there. So, he would have, he would have beat anybody else that was there, but Chad was flying. So tell me about the first time when you picked up that motorcycle. Did you just fall in love with it? Did you have a grin on your face, and then you had to drive it home from you know from wherever you picked it up back to Ohio? Tell me about that. Yeah. So again, so um, keeping it a secret. So Chad knew. I probably told Chad mid-season, maybe. And then I, I might have told other a few other people, but my parents didn't know. You know, my wife knew. A couple guys at work knew. Um, but I really, it was really, really hard for me to, to keep it a secret. But so I was snooping, you know, obviously in the pits all that year, trying to look at these things, you know, the factory bikes, it's not like they're under, you know, um, you know, super high security, but you, you can't just go walking in the pits, poking around. But obviously at that point, nobody really knows who I am or what I'm looking at or why I'm asking questions. So, um, you know, it was kind of trying to figure out what these things were, what people were doing with them. And, you know, I actually had a conversation with John Cornwell, I think at Springfield in the fall, you know, telling him like, Hey, I'm getting one of these bikes. What do I need to do with the suspension? So I was kind of plotting the whole year of, of, of what I was going to do when I got it. But, um, I told my dad the day before we went to pick it up. So I went and picked it up at S and S in Viola, Wisconsin, which was about an eight hour or 11 hour drive or to go up there and, and, the you know, kind of sprung it on the night before, like, Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm going up to Wisconsin to pick up an Indian. <laughs> so he actually, he actually had some plans, but, but he, he easily, you know, canceled to, to do that. So, you know, we'd been on plenty of road trips before in the, in the, in our old box van, you know, 
racing and stuff. So it was kind of a, it's like going to the races, but uh, picked it up and, you know, met Dean there. He gave us a tour of S and S and just blown away by that facility. I had no idea how, how big and, and uh, just high tech a company um, S and S was, but it was just a real surreal thing. Like it's just out in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. And, and there's one of these bikes and then, you know, kind of hard to believe it was mine. Of course, you know, I'm taking pictures of it and sending it to my friends like, Hey, it's real now. <laughs> I got it. But, uh, you know, now you're, you're driving around with, you know, bags of money in your car and thinking, I got to get this thing home. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So what's, what serial number do you get? Did you, did you happen to get 49 or do you know, did you even look at that? So I can't remember what my actual serial number is, but my bike is actually customer bike number nine. And uh, wow. I believe it might have been the first customer bike, like, you know, if you count the factory bikes and, you know, a, a few others that were, you know, Indian. So um, it, it might have been the, the very first first one out. So that's awesome. You know. That is so cool. So tell me how you got hooked up with Chad Coast. So, again, you know, similar to like these other guys, you know, just, you know, I was already at the track a lot and stuff. And I think. Chad, you know, Chad's a likable guy. He's, he's friends with everybody. So he was probably pounding around a little bit with Corey, you know, of course he was, you know, Chad stays, um, his summers over in that Pennsylvania area with all that crew. So I'm assuming we just got introduced by, by just being around that crowd. And, uh, you know, I just remember him one time asking if he could ride a bike and, and, and he might even just ask, you know, cause at the time that wasn't too big of an ask to say, Hey, do my singles program. Right. Cause it was, you know, just a couple short tracks and the TT and you're, you're kind of done. So it, it wasn't a huge commitment for me, but, um, so I said, yep, let's go for it. So I believe that was 2014, um, that I, that I started working with him on that and, you know, did, did well at Daytona, um, you know, and good, good at the, um, at the TT and, and actually, um, I think that first year they ran, um, Castle Rock and, uh, I didn't get to go out. It was a West coast. So I sent him out with a bike and, uh, he actually was doing really well and qualified that, that day and, and had a, had a mechanical, the, the, I think the, a bolt came out of one of the brake calipers or something, but he, he would have probably done really well, you know, out there kind of on his home turf, um, kind of dis- disappointed, but, um, you know, did another year with him, um, with that. And then of course, when they, they did the twins only that kind of put me to the sidelines and until this Indian thing came. Right on. But there was another series that was around for just a little while called the Steel Shoe Series. And if I'm not mistaken, Chad won just about every one of the singles main events. Yep. So, uh, again, so we already had that relationship, Chad and I. And, and you know, I, I still went to the races. You know, I w- I'd been helping, um, like, say, Jeffrey Lowry. And um, I helped Jeremiah Duffy now. So I think Jeremiah was probably still um, an amateur at that point. But I was helping helping him but you know still going to to all the local nationals and stuff and uh so the steel shoe thing pops up and you know on paper you know looked like a pretty neat deal and uh especially on paper the money they were you know kind of advertising so um neat classes you know kind of not a lot of rules seemed like a, a nice clean easy series to do where, where you could ride a lot of classes and, and make some money so um you know they first race was, was Hagerstown. And again, I think that's a lot of riders really like that track. So, you know, Chad called me up. He knew I had a, uh, a framer that he'd, he'd rode before. And again, this is my framer from, you know, clear back early two thousands. And, 
he's like, Hey, let's go do this. Let's split the money and go, go see what this series is all about. So, you know, showed up at, at Hagerstown and, uh, you know, really, you know, probably won by three quarters of a lap. Just never thought we would have been that dominant. Um, but the thing, you know, just really worked, matched, matched the track. And again, that's, that's when me and Chad really started to gel is, you know, we were communicating well, um, we knew what each other's, um, shortcomings or, or, or even, uh, strengths were and, and just knew what we wanted the bike to feel like. So, um, worked great. And actually, actually Rob Pearson rode one of my bikes at, at uh, Hagerstown at well as, as well, but, um, got to, got to meet, um, Rob and spent a lot of time with him and Rick Canode this, this year, uh, you know, with the Indian thing pitted beside him. So anyway, back to the, the steel shoe thing, um, you know, went on to uh, Mount Pleasant, completely different track. So, you know, Hagerstown, obviously kind of a slippery, you know, paperclip would track people shift and, you know, all kinds of things with the, with the rule package, you know, no, no tire rolls. You could kind of do whatever you want to the tire or whatever brand of tires you want. So went up there to Mount Pleasant, the track, no one had really run on. Maybe a few Michigan guys had some, had had a local race there, but it was a, you know, sand track. Like you could call it a cushion, but I mean, that thing was, was a beach and, uh, gambled on our tire choice and, uh, you know, put the setup in we thought and you know same result and but this time i'm not sure um what the the talk in the pits was was so much about because i you know the margin of victory chad was winning by was was pretty impressive especially with the you know with the class of riders that were there um so we got protested um, at mount pleasant and and had to had quite a uh a tense thing there you know chad took it personal as as you know as any rider would that, you know, they were basically saying he couldn't win if he wasn't cheating. And, uh, you know, we had some, a lot of pushing and shoving with officials and, and, you know, there was, it was, it actually turned out to be a, a protest from the organization or, or, you know, they basically demanded we take the motor apart and, you know, I didn't want to do it since, you know, someone needs to put up some money if you want to tear a motor down. But ultimately we, you know, decided to do it just to prove a point. I mean, we knew it was legal and, uh, you know, pulled it apart and showed them it was a, an 03450 that, um, just, just worked really well and was rode really well. I mean, I think that's the, that's the key. Um, you know, Chad, um, got a lot of confidence riding that bike and, and we, you know, we couldn't wait to go to the next one. So, uh, next race was at, in, in Ohio, Northern Ohio and at another new track, um, kind of a dirt track, like not really a clay track, not really a cushion, kind of a funky surface. But, um, at this point, you know, some of the money, um, problems were happening with the steel shoe national. There are a lot of grumblings, a lot of promises. So a lot of tension at that race, but, um, again, pulled off, pulled it off again and, uh, you know, won that one you know, couldn't be happier, um, of what, what we did that, but I think that that did kind of set the stage for us, you know, continuing what, what we were doing. Chad was riding his twin at the same time. So I was helping him a little bit, you know, with his Kawasaki, um, you know, try to win that class as well, but, um, nothing really matched what we were doing on that in that, uh, singles framer class. Well, like you said, Tom, you know, the, the confidence by winning you know, nationals, it doesn't matter if it's a grand national or a steel shoe national or whatever, uh, that has to carry on and you, you never forget that. And, and that helps you go faster for sure. So let's move into the 2018 season, you know, first race out on your Indian and 
and the Indian of Oklahoma City entry, and and uh, you go to Daytona, miss the main event. But before we get into the 18 season, what were your expectations going into 2018? So, you know, Chad and I talked, and you know, tr- you know, the story of Chad's career the last couple seasons has just been DNFs. You know, he's had decent equipment, but I think one year he, he might have rode five different brands of bikes, and you know, just you know, mechanical failures and, and different things from jumping on, you know, one bike to the other. So I mean, our goal was to finish the season and, and my goal was to, you know, get him through with no DNFs. So, you know, which is a challenging thing, you know, regardless of how good a mechanic you are, or how good equipment you have, um, you know, anything could happen, flat tires, you know, all kinds of, you know, obviously you've seen it chains coming off and, and everything else. So I just wanted to give him the best chance of finishing the season and, and being out there on the track. So, I knew that if, if we, if I gave him that, we would finish high in the points. So together, I mean, we, we fully expected a top 10 in the point. So anything less than top 10 um, would have been disappointing. Um, but our stretch goal was kind of top five. So we knew that was within reach. Like that was like, if we have a great season, you know, we could, we could crack the top five. So to have actually made it up to the top five and then slip back to sixth. I mean, you know, we ran a lot of the season in, you know, seventh, eighth place, um, it, it was a, it was a tremendous year. Um, couldn't, couldn't have been happier, uh, you know, and, and we feel like we let a couple slip away. You know, there were, there were, there were times where we were fast qualifier twice and, uh, you know, had some front row starts. So, you know, we knew that there was stuff left on the table for sure. Right on. Well, he's, he's definitely proved himself this year. You know, the Texas race, the third race of the year, he podium got his first podium of his career. Uh, talk about that day. How, how were things clicking so well for you? What what was significant about that? How did you guys make it work after, you know, a, a not main, no main event Daytona, uh, I think a 13th place at Atlanta? What happened and what changed at Texas? Well, I think, you know, we had we had the whole season in mind. So we were by no means in any kind of panic mode, you know, going there. Um, it, it, it wasn't like, oh, we better hurry up and, and do something. So we were going about, you know, the, the day business as usual. Um, I can remember doing the track walk, which had that day and, and the track was a little sketchy, you know, it, it had like, looked like it actually grown some grass on it in the off season, you know, and, um, you know, they were, they were kind of scrambling to, to, to prep it. And I remember Chad saying, man, this, this, this don't look good. I, I hate tracks like this. And, and I told him, I said, nope, you love tracks like this. You know, everybody's going to have to ride it, you know, just going to have to, you know, make it your favorite track. And, you know, we kind of, you know, joked about that, but, but, you know, as, as the day went on, we just went about our, our normal business. You know, we, we tried to set the gearing we like, we tried to set the suspension and it was just clicking for Chad. I, I, I don't remember the exact adjustment, but I remember the first practice was really sketchy. Everybody was kind of slow and, you know, the riders complained a little bit. They might've did some more prep work, but we went out for the second session. I remember saying, I didn't even push it and I'm fast. So he said, we got something, you know, we're, we're good. And we've had those moments where it did just clicks for him and, and we've got the right setup. So, um, we kind of had it early and just maintained it that, that whole race, we, we gambled and ran a five that, you know, and this is the first year where we're really doing a lot of that, you know, do we run a five, do we run an eight? And, uh, it, it chunked it pretty good, but, but it lasted. And, uh, you know, we had nothing to lose at that point, you know, that earlier in that early in the season, you know, um, we just kind of went for it. Right on. So aside from Texas, did anything really stand out to you in 2018? I know, like you said, he was fast qualifier a few times, uh, led a lot of laps, you know, and won some qualifying races. Does anything else stand out to you? Yeah. Well, like I say that, you know, 
fast qualified at Calistoga. Um, that was, you know, again, to, 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 that we were kind of backing up that, that Texas race is like, you know, things are starting to click, click a little more. He led laps at Sacramento. Um, you know, we're, we're really, you know, kind of moving on at, you know, um, the red mile was kind of a, a significant thing for us. We, we were kind of back in the pack. I, I remember we, I think we started on the second or third row and kind of, he faded back. He might've been, he might've been all the way to, you know, 15th or 16th. And there was a caution about maybe 10 laps in, I think he was 13th at that point. And, uh, you know, we were like, well, what are we going to do? You know, obviously you can't make any adjustments and stuff. And he was like, well, I don't feel that bad, you know, just going to go for it. And he just picked off riders. And I think he ended up six that night. So it was, it was really exciting to watch him just pick through the field and, and it, it, sixth place doesn't even really explain it, you know, kind of reminded me of that Savannah ride. Cause as he was coming through the field, he was probably only 20 feet from um, third place that night. He had caught that last pack. So um, third, fourth and fifth were, were right there in, in front of him, literally. So, um, you know, another few laps and he might've podiumed that night, you know, coming from deep in the field. So um, that was, it, it was always, that was kind of the Chad's, season i guess was to see him if he got a bad start he always you know made up for it we always at least broke into the top 10 um and then as the, as the season wore on we started getting i think even faster you know better starts and uh I, you know um rapid city stands out again we were fast qualifier there fast fast in our heat race um fast in the semi and then um kind of faded in the main and, and that one was kind of on me that's one that um we knew we left something on the table. We had a break problem and just had no way around it at that point, you know, with only four and five laps of practice and then four lap or five lap heat race, you know, we weren't seeing the break um, fade like it did. And in the semi, I think we led the semi for a few laps and then faded to third, uh, you know, like after lap seven, the break got hot. And so the same thing happened in the main and, you know, basically he couldn't do anything with, without any breaks. So, you know, that could have been another potential heat, you know, we might've even won that one. Um, so really hoping to get back there next year and, and do that one. Right. Right on. I, 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 you know, I have to say, I'm, I'm proud of you guys for, for the season you had with 12 top 10 finishes, you know, and his first career podium, I think it was a great year for you. So let's talk about 2019. Are, are, are you, you building up for anything for 2019 yet? Or what are you doing right now? Well, so me personally, I'm just, um, like I say, I do, um, motors for Jeremiah Duffy. So I've got his, uh, a couple of his motors I'm tearing down and, and getting ready to rebuild for next year. And then my personal Indian, um, you know, it's had the, the time on it from last year. So I've taken it apart and started to, um, work on it. Um, so there'll be some work to do there, you know, um, with the new fuel change, the, the rule change coming, um, kind of waiting on, um, seeing what the solution is going to be with that. If, if, if any, what we're, what we're going to do there with changing compression ratios or something along those lines. So, um, kind of in a holding pattern on the Indian, but, um, you know, rebuilding four fifties. Okay. So you mentioned that, you know, the new rule change and Indian has, you know, publicly expressed, they weren't too happy with the new rules package. And I'm not asking you to speak on behalf of them, but how hard is it for the rule change and, and what does it affect? I know it's, it's going to open up, you know, the throttle bias for some other brands, but a different fuel will affect your motorcycle too. Is that, is that how I understand it? 
Yeah. And I think, so I think some of the, there's, you know, I've tried to read up on, on, on some of the statements, you know, made by Indian and, and, you know, obviously some of the comments that um, other um, fans and people in the sport are making. And, and I think um, what I think believe Gary Gray wrote it, um, he, he's kind of spot on where, you know, the fuel thing is going to hurt everybody the same. I mean, it, it, it may or may not affect the Indian more, but it's a role that, that goes across everybody. So that, that one's not, not a terribly big deal. Um, the displacement thing, you know, my gut feeling, you know, from a tuner thing is, man, the, the Kawasaki started out at six fifties. And I remember it being kind of a stretch to get them to, you know, seven thirty or whatever. And then seven fifty is kind of maxing them out. So I'd be surprised if the, if very many people are able to punch a, a Kawasaki out much, much bigger than what it is and have them last. I mean, you've been around road taxes, you know, there's always these guys that have, you know, pushed those, you know, 680 and, you know, there's even been a few 750 road taxes and every 750 road tax I've ever seen is blowed to pieces. So it, it, you know, there won't be any um, really data when they, you know, start making these things big of how reliable they're going to be. And um, I really don't think they, they need to. So I don't think that'll be a big deal. It might help the Harleys um, some because they would have the room to probably make them bigger, but um, I don't think horsepower is all Harley's problem. So um, don't, don't know that that's a big deal. So then that narrows it down to the, to the throttle body um, role. And, and, and so I'm in alignment with, with Gary on that one. So, you know, when you think about that, if you, if you even take it to NASCAR where, you know, you were doing restrictor plates and non-restrictor plates, the, the NASCAR guys would talk about when I got a restricted motor, you know, lazy motor, not a lot of throttle response, you know, you got to, you know, it slowly gets up to speed and then you're kind of stuck there. So when you take the restrictor plate off and you open it up, obviously now I've got this better throttle response, wider power band, you know, accelerates quicker and everything else. So it's the exact same thing. It's not that they've restricted the Indian, but they've gave the other ones. It's like taking a restrictor out, you know, they gave them a bigger, bigger opening. So they'll accelerate faster, run better than what they did. So what it'll do probably on the Kawasaki's is give them a, a wider power band and a little bit more peak horsepower, though I don't think they need the peak horsepower, but you know, a good tuner will be able to move that around. So um, they might be able to come off the turn, you know, better, you know, it, it's, it's going to be an advantage. It's just how that, how they use it. But um, I also believe that, that something did need to be done. I mean, we don't want it to be an all Indian show. We want it to be, you know, competitive and everybody, um, you know, equals, especially when, you know, Indian is a purpose-built race bike and these other guys are trying to make something from a, you know, a street bike. But, you know, if you take that a step further, um, I don't think Howerton needed these changes. You know, they, they already had almost a, a purpose-built race bike, right? I mean, the, the Howerton Kawasaki's are developed so much further than anybody else's. You know, I think they were on par with the Indians and, and even without a role change, I think Brian was going to be very competitive next year. Yeah, I was too. And, and, you know, I think more than that, I think it's for his confidence. You know, he's, he just didn't ever seem comfortable on the Indian. I think the bike was a little bit too big for him. You know, Brian's a smaller guy, but um, I think, you know, more for confidence. I think that was a good move for them. But as a tuner, how interested are you to see what Howerton does with the Kawasaki and the new rule changes? Um, it, it, it won't change anything I do. Um, I, to be honest, I, I wish Howerton was more of a, um, more of a business than, than, than an entity, you know, I mean, there's no trickle down parts coming from Howerton to these, 
you know, the, the privateer teams, you know, he's not offering frames or engine packages or, or anything which would truly help, you know, the other Kawasaki privateers. Um, so, I mean, I know they're going to be good, um, even if, with no role changes. So he'll make the most of it for sure. I mean, there's no doubt that, that they'll do it. But, you know, when we get back to like the parody of the season, um, the Indians and Chad and I talked about this a lot was what it really did. It wasn't so much an Indian thing versus the other bikes because there were so many Indians out there in the top riders. It took it back to a rider's race. You know, everybody was on equal equipment. Now the riders get to shine and, and, and see who's the best rider. I mean, you're all on the same bike. Um, I don't think there was a huge difference between the factory bikes and, and the, the privateers bike. And I don't mean that from a, from a, not that, you know, Meese and, and, and Howerton's Indians weren't, you know, heavily worked on and modified, but I don't think they squeezed a lot more out of them from, from a thing, you know, Jared has a, has an awesome team and, and the difference in Jared's could strictly be just how well him and Jimmy Woods work with the suspension. He could have the best handling bike there and, and, and not need the horsepower. So, um, I think, I think that's the, that's the thing that we have to remember is making it a rider's race and not a, you know, a bike race and not who can build the most horsepower and, and that wins. I love it. So in 2019, you said you're kind of right now, kind of in the holding pattern, working on some single stuff. Are you, working again with Chad coast for 2019. Yeah. So, you know, it's for, for, for next year, we haven't, we don't have any concrete plans. Um, you know, part of that's, that's on me. I, I was kind of all in, um, last year with Chad. So, you know, the, the size of our team was, was basically me and Chad and, you know, we had some help from some guys out West coast, Chad's dad and a few of his buddies and, and my dad helped us, um, at all the East coast and, and, uh, Midwest rounds, but I mean, that was basically the team and, um, with the, my, my real job, my full-time job and, and my commitments, uh, you know, to my wife and, and family, um, it's just going to be too much for me to do the same thing we did, um, next year. So, um, I've committed to Chad to, to, you know, be his tuner wherever he, wherever he lands, whatever he wants to do. If we can put something together, obviously we want to, we want to race Indians in the, in the premier class next year. But if, if, circumstances change or you know he ends up on a single or a production twin i'll be his mechanic so that that's what i've committed to chad so just kind of wait wait and see it's you know the silly season's quickly ending here so um hopefully we'll know what we're doing real soon yeah the the silly seasons it's weird you know we have had a few announcements lately and you know there was a lot of speculation and now we know who the factory indian riders are we hear you know here you know estenson has their stable of riders does that you know, does that start closing doors or does that open more doors for Chad? Yeah. I mean, it, it felt like it, it closed doors, you know, everybody was waiting for the, the Indian shoe to drop, you know, so to speak. And, you know, Chad and I obviously, you know, talked about that, you know, we felt like we had a shot at it for sure. Um, you know, with, with the performance we had last year, but, um, definitely weren't, you know, obviously counting on that. It was just, just, you know, obviously everybody's wish to, to plan something like that. But, um, you know, with that team kind of absorbing um, the Zanotti team, you know, it, it didn't free up a ride there. Um, you know, haven't heard much of any other new teams, you know, coming to play or, uh, you know, the status of some of the other existing teams that were running Indians. Um, so it, it's, it's really tight right now for sure. So, um, you know, ho hopefully something, uh, something comes 
you know, here in the, in the next month, you know, December's kind of do or die, I guess. All right. You know, you guys are ready to roll. Hopefully somebody will pick you guys up and, and keep the team together. I love it. So now I want to talk about your beard. So I've got to talk about it. When did you start growing that thing? So uh, it started in 2012. Um, I actually had hip surgery and was uh, laid up from um, work. And I think I was off work about six weeks. Um, so, you know, just, you know, it was September. So, you know, kind of that no shave time of year. And uh, with that, it, it just started growing and, you know, I was going to physical therapy and just kind of not myself and, uh, you know, made it through the whole winter that year without, without cutting it. I guess I wasn't, wasn't too worried about what I looked like because I was hobbling around on crutches and, and not out and about much. So I made it through that year, got through that awkward stage. And, you know, that was about the time that, that beer started being cool again, I guess. So, um, just that's, that's where it started. And, you know, once it got that long, then that's the only thing anybody wants to talk about. <laughs> well, I got, I got, I got more questions cause I can't, I can't grow a beard. So I got more questions on that. Uh, has it been a lot of work? I mean, or you just let it grow? Uh, so I don't know. It, so when it gets a certain length, it, it you know, you gotta, it, there's more hair on my face than there is on my head. So you obviously got to wash it and dry it. I can't, can't always leave it dry your whole front of your t-shirts wet so there's a whole grooming grooming process but it, it's right. it's more of a safety hazard right now in the garage so there's a whole um, kind of tighten a knot to keep it out of grinders and drill presses it's the it's right the, the, the most the most work <laughs> Are, have you ever been tempted to cut it off yeah so i actually told my wife and a few other people that i thought this year was going to be the year so i like six years September I'm going to cut it off and uh I, I think I made that statement this summer and that kind of that time kind of came and went and I just didn't have the urge so now I'll just see when the urge strikes me again it you know might be tomorrow all right so um does it get in the way when you're racing because I know it's it's hanging off the back of your helmet it looks like you got a cape when you're racing <laughs> yeah no has no effect it well, it keeps the pea gravel off my neck for sure, but yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. So uh, what if it gets past your way? So you're going to just keep letting it grow or do you got to, is that, is that going to be a stopping point somewhere? Yeah, that, that would be, it already gets caught. So, you know, one of the long beard problems is you can't zip up a coat without getting it in there. And then that, that's, if it gets caught in my pants zipper, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, it's kind of stopped growing. It's actually been this length, I think for about the, you know, maybe two or three years. And, and, uh, the lady that cuts my hair, um, she keeps it trimmed up nice. So I'm not afraid for her to take an inch off now and then. So All right. it's about as long so, as it needs, needs to be. One final question on the beard. Does your wife like it or is she ready for it to be gone? She would never admit it, but I think she's ready for it to be gone. She's never okay. seen me without it other than in pictures. Man, that, that's something right there. So you mentioned your job a couple of times. What do you do for a living? So I'm a, a senior maintenance and reliability manager at a food manufacturing plant. Uh, it's actually owned by Kellogg's, and I've been there for 22 years. So kind of grew up there, uh, was a maintenance mechanic there, um, maintenance planner, and uh, been the maintenance manager for the last you know, few years. So wow. significant um, time obligation there. Uh, and, you know, obviously a, a significant career. So it's, it's a struggle right now, 
you know, to be, you know, I'm ready to, to do something different. I'd love to, to, to be a, a flat track, you know, mechanic tuner, whatever engine builder full time, but it's going to take a lot to, to replace obviously the security that comes with a, you know, with a, a company like that. Gotcha. When are you racing again? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I thought I might, um, thought I might get out on the ice this year, but that's probably not going to happen. But, um, Ohio had a heck of a, um, uh, schedule this past year. I was really, really disappointed. I missed a lot of races. So, um, I've got to get back out there, but I got to get in shape. I, I put on some weight this summer and, uh, <laughs> haven't been running or exercising like I should. So first, first goal was to get in shape and, and, and get back out there. All right. Well, it's time for the episode for Graham's question. That's my grandma. And she's the flat, my, you know, the biggest flat track fan that I know, of, but she wants to know, she said she knows how you mechanics and crew chiefs are. You think about racing and building bikes all the time, but do you have any other hobbies or interests outside of racing, like fishing or family or anything else? Yeah. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, not quite a newlywed anymore, been, um, it'll be three years this May that I've been married to my wife, Jessica. And, you know, obviously you can tell by the, the conversation we've had tonight, you know, she's, she puts up with a lot. So, um, really owe a lot of my spare time to her when we're, when we're not racing. So try to try to spend as much time with her in the off season to make up for the, for the long season. So, um, me and her actually share a hobby of, um, of running. So we, we like to get out in the woods and do, you know, some trail running and things like that. But, um, that's really about it. You know, I'm in the garage, you know, I've got plenty of, you know, probably four or five, um, projects that I've started and stopped and, and, and haven't finished and, you know, try to pick up each year. Um, but, um, I'm, I'm always working on a bike of, of, of some sort. All right. It's time for the rapid fire questions. That's how we wrap up the show. And so I want you to tell me the first thing that pops into your mind whenever I ask you a question. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's your favorite motorcycle you've ever ridden? Uh, I'd be a night framed XR 500. Okay. What's your favorite racetrack? Bossy on Ohio. Hmm. Okay. So we, we, we all know that you have the best beard in the pits, but is there anybody else in the pit area? That's a close second. I think bugs had one at the start of the year. That was pretty, pretty solid, but who's, who's second place behind you. Hmm. Andrew Butler had one going for a while. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. So you're still a newlywed of sorts. You said that, you know, three years, it's not too long, but uh, what's the best advice you can give someone looking to tie the knot? Do it. <laughs> All right. Try it. All right. All right. So I'll ask this last rapid fire question. It's kind of a, a, a reach here, but if, if the mechanics had a class, do you think, you know, at the Grand Nationals, do you think you'd be the fastest mechanic at the track? Wow. So uh, there's a lot of, a lot of fast guys that um, are mechanics now or, or used to be fast guys. I'm probably towards the bottom of that list. You know, there's Bergie, Michelle, um, Bigelow, McDermott, you know, James Hart and David Lloyd back in the day were, you know, had, had their fast times. And then, uh, you know, of course, Ben and Andrew Butler. So I'm probably at the, at the bottom end of the expert tuners. So not, not quite as fast as the rest of that group, but, it would be a fun thing to 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 have a, a mechanics race. What what about Jimmy I Wood? Out, I, 
I was going to say, what about Jimmy oh, yeah. Wood? There's oh, yeah. there's a lot well, of fast well, guys now. I mean, come on. He's a, he, Jimmy's a suspension guy. Don't count. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd have to put restrictions. No suspension guys. Yeah. So you, I mean, you could actually throw Steve right. Beatty in the mix too, man. There's a lot of fast guys right. that are still, you know, stick right. around. So yeah, yeah I, I could maybe, <laughs> I might be able to win a running race if mechanics had a running race. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I think I think you could definitely put it in the main event. How's that? <laughs> yeah. For sure. Tom, thank you so much for your time. We're at the part of the episode now. If you want to say thanks to anybody, here's your chance. Yeah, well, uh, and I guess I've already kind of talked. I definitely have to thank my wife for, um, you know, putting up with this season for sure. Um, she's She was a, a trooper and, you know, let me follow a dream and check that off the bucket list. But, you know, Chad, um, Chad, obviously, without him, I wouldn't have had the, you know, the opportunity to do it. So, you know, it's been a um, a great season, um, with him and just, you know, kind of strengthened our relationship and our, you know, kind of communication as a rider tuner. So had a blast, but like I was telling you earlier, we had that kind of like that West coast team. So I was flying out to the races, um, out there and kind of leaving the bikes with Chad and in the, in the van and, and he had a whole crew of buddies out there. So, um, Richie and Derek and Sean and, um, Jermaine, they all took care of me out there and, and, you know, prepped the bikes for me. Um, of course I can't forget, um, Jenny Lou, you know, Chad's, Chad's girlfriend. So Jen's always, always been a, a trooper and, and, you know, helping us at the track. Um, my mom and dad, you know, my dad taught me everything I knew and, and, uh, you know, goes to all the, all the races. We talk a lot of strategy and, um, you know, he always has a different perspective on things. Uh, Dean, Dean Young, Paul Langley, Gary Gray, Indian was absolutely um, awesome. S and S was was awesome. Dean was, I mean, you know, we felt like we were part of the factory team. There wasn't anything as far as information or or questions about things that that they didn't support us with, and uh, it, it it was a, a just a super experience dealing with them. And um, that might be a guy you guys need to talk to next. See if you can get Dean Young on here because he's a super super good guy. Um, Scott Conway, of course, at Indiana of Oklahoma City, we wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to do the things we did last year with Scott. And if anybody um, that, that doesn't know Scott, awesome guy, awesome family, awesome dealership. You know, we went down there when we had the, the race in Oklahoma City at a big party and uh, just a, a super, super um, good people to work with. I think he sent somebody to every race, you know, family members, his daughters, you know, people that work at the shop. It, it You know, we really felt like, you know, part of that part of that family, the, the um, Oklahoma city um, Indian owners group. There was guys that were, I think they rode to Minnesota, um, rode to Lima. They were, they were all over the, over the country with us. And again, just, just felt like, you know, they, they, at one time they said they were, they were great fans. And I said, you know, you guys are like family. We see you every week. Um, so uh, great to, to work with all those people. Um, and the guys at Olin's Mike Himmelsbach and John Cornwell, you know, again, wouldn't have done it without them you know, supporting us with the Olins, you know, we were one of the few teams that stayed with Olins all year. Um, and, uh, those guys tech support and everything, you know, we, we've been up a few forks, you know, of course at Savannah and, um, to get, even the guys back in the shop supported us a hundred percent and, uh, you know, um, just really contributed to what, what we did. Um, Davey Durrell, uh, Mike Owen and, and Ron Hamp are kind of my mentors as far as, you know, Davey's always done my suspension and, you know, it's been, you know, a real mentor to me around that. And Mike Owen, um, you know, J&M frames, uh, taught me everything I knew about chassis setup. You know, he, anytime I've, 
I've called, he's answered and, and, and really, you know, taught me how um, dirt track chassis are supposed to work. And then Ron Hamp's kind of the mad scientist and, uh, you know, learned a, a lot about um, how to make a Honda motor go fast from Ron. And it wouldn't be complete without giving a shout out to Kevin Lambert at Goon Glass and Rubber. Um, Kevin's, you know, now famous um, daily um, Facebook um, live um, videos are, are, I guess, a tradition now. But um, Kevin um, prototyped some carbon fiber parts for us and, and uh, really, um, really helped us a lot as well this year. So definitely want to give a shout out to them. Tom, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on the solid I mean, a very solid, you know, 2018. I look forward to seeing you guys in 2019. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, and uh, hopefully we see you soon. All right. Thanks, Scotty. Tom Englehart, ladies and gentlemen. Your second Tom in two weeks from Ohio. What a coincidence. Did you do that to me on purpose? No. That was he scheduled the first, and then the second one came up, and I was like, there's two Toms. And you're like, they're both from Ohio. I was like, you're right. Got to give love to Ohio every now and then. Some fast riders come from Ohio. That's what I hear. And I think it's pretty cool. You know, it's like there's hotbeds here and there and, you know, Michigan for sure. You know, the Michigan Mafia. Ohio's got some fast guys. Of course, California always has fast guys. So it's kind of weird. They come from little areas. You know, Pennsylvania, too. I don't want to leave those guys out. But uh, just little hotbeds that, I don't know, maybe it's because it's popular there and they just keep producing more of them. I don't know, man. It's kind of weird. I got to tell you, I, I enjoy talking to the tuners. Um, it's just the people you don't really hear much from. Um, and it's great to hear their insight, right? The riders can, you know, you're hearing from them and every other week, you know, what they say in interviews and whatnot, but we don't really get to talk to the tuners that much and hear their thoughts and how the season goes and and what they're thinking about heading into a race weekend. So that's kind of cool for me. Right. And, and what's kind of cool too, Carter, is that the tuners we have talked to are former riders. So they, they all know what it's like to you know to go out there and and race and what it feels like and i think that makes a an even better mechanic because they can just kind of look at each other and sense what each other's feeling because they've both been there and i think that definitely helps you know a relationship with a rider as a former rider talking things over so i think it's a it's a good combination i like that we have a lot of those in the pit area yeah no and the ones that we've talked to just have amazing stories like half the stuff that tom was talking about i couldn't believe right the whole story with him getting that indian that was i mean unbelievable but some sometimes their stories are just as good if not better than the rider's story themselves so i think that's what we're finding out the more we talk to so i, I definitely dig it Absolutely. And another reason we're doing it, you know, to find out the backstory, not only the riders, but mechanics. We've talked to, you know, sponsors, we've talked to promoters and, and, you know, we're just, we're just at the tip of the iceberg right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. We still got a long way to go. One year in. This one kind of flew by on me. The first year? (laughs) The first year did (laughs) not fly by. We definitely spent some time and it's all worth it though, man. It's crazy. Like, and I know we say it a million times, but it's crazy to think we've been doing this for a year. It definitely, sometimes it feels like it, but most of the time it doesn't, like, especially looking back now. What makes it all worthwhile is like what Tommy Dumas said in last week's episode, Yep. that he learned so much about our sport and about our riders that that makes it worthwhile right there. For somebody that's spent so much time with these riders, the fact that they're still learning from the things that we're talking about is pretty cool. And, uh reason to keep doing it for sure and uh like like you said it's just the tip of the iceberg so looking forward to another year another 10 years however long you want to keep doing this i know that i'm not stopping anytime soon 
Well, maybe one day we'll get paid to do it and then make it even sweeter. <laughs> Guess what I'm doing tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow? I'll be in Ocala for the Gary McNary Memorial Race there at the short track in Ocala. Marion County Fairgrounds, I believe. Marion County Speedway, I think is what they call it, something like that. But, man, it's a cool little short track. I've never raced there. I've announced there before. And I can't wait to be in the sun outside in Florida. Well, don't get too excited, man, because there's a freeze warning in Jacksonville tonight where I'm at. So it's it's chilly here still. So, you know, don't think you're going to be rocking the shorts and flip-flops because I had to wear a jacket today. Well, you're a sissy. <laughs> I guess living in Florida does that. You know, it's, it's not really cold. It's that Florida cold where it gets below 50 and you're just shaking in your boots. Well, you got the you got the the cold breeze coming in off the ocean with the water in it. I think that I think it just feels different when you're down there. It is definitely different. And I've only been down here a couple of years, and I guess it it did get a little. You got a little sissified. Sissified. I was gonna say sissified, but then I didn't didn't want to. Sissified is probably the best word. Um. So yeah, you're gonna be in the same state. I'm not gonna get to see you. I'm a little bummed about that. The one weekend I'm coming to Florida and you're going to do something else. I know it, man. It's, I just started a new job this week. Started my own company, which we won't get into. But yeah, it's been a busy week for me, man. It's uh, it's going to be good, though. It's going to be a busy, busy-ass December. But after that, hopefully uh, things will start falling into place for me. If I was right down the street, I'd be really upset if you didn't come see me. But we're not, we're, we're not going to be that close together. Well, there's always Daytona, too. How many days away are we? I don't know. I'm not even going to look. I'm tired of... It's, it's over 100 still. It's frustrating. It's over 100 still? Open up your phone. Open up that app. Tell me how many days. We got to get it in the episode. 104. It's still in the triple digits. 104 days, folks. It'll be here before you know it. You know how that goes. December flies by because of the holidays. And then January flies by. And then before you know it, it's February, and that's only like a month away. Well, I'm hoping to do some of the ice racing series you know they yep. get they're kicking off tomorrow night also in prescott valley uh, arizona my grandparents are going grandpa are going nice um yeah it's not too far away from phoenix it's it's up in you know straight north of phoenix up in the mountains but uh man i wish i could go to that i just can't be in two places at once so how long does that season run you know it starts right now this is the first of the season and it goes until march sometime i think okay. you know last year last year it went uh, i think the week after daytona was the last one so uh, i haven't seen the official schedule yet yeah that'd be good for you to keep you busy in the off season there's a few flat trackers that run that right yeah jake mattia he's a buddy of mine number 29 he rides it jeremy Orr rides it uh jeremiah lindbergh from minnesota rides it and there's some other guys that show up and uh there's usually a pretty you know pretty big class and there's a, a, a pro quad class there's a lot of cool things that happen yeah so it's, it's just a fun event good deal well, I hope you enjoyed the sunshine state, buddy. Well, I hope the sun is out. You 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 got me worried now. I hope I brought enough warm clothes. When you go to Florida, you shouldn't need a jacket ever. Oh, what are we doing next week? I don't know. I think we're either going to do a little little look back, look at the episodes, well, you know, the fun we've had over the past year talking to people, um, maybe surprise call some people that we've talked to already, call them up, see how they're doing. What do you think? Sounds good to me. If you've been on the show and been interviewed, don't be surprised be ready. if you get a phone call from Scotty Dibbler and myself next week. Be prepared and uh, be ready. Be ready. That's all I got to say. Cool, man. Talk to you next week. Enjoy the races this weekend. I know you're going to have a good time. I'm bummed that I'm not going to be able to see it. Well, enjoy the uh, cold weather up there in Jacksonville. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. See you next week. All right, Carter. Take it easy. Peace. Peace.